Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast in which two films with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this episode. In the red corner, you remind me of the babe. What babe? The babe with the power. What persuaded you to wear those trousers from 1986? It's Labyrinth. Jim Henson. George Lucas. David Bowie. (laughs) The world of Labyrinth. And in the blue corner, Blade Runner was a movie that inspired other movies, like Mick Jagger's 1992 Free Jack. Alex Furlong is about to die and enter the year 2009. Tell me who's behind all this. I'm sorry. Free Jack. So what is the connection and which film does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, fight fans, and welcome to Clash of the Titles. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. And I'm Chris Tilly. And today are my picks. Two movies picked by myself, so obviously I'm very much looking forward to talking about them. One was 1986's Labyrinth, which I gave to you, Victoria. One was 1992's Free Jack, which I gave to you, Chris. Guys, what connects these two movies? Well, they're both films featuring characters uh, who slowly lose their memories. Okay. Okay, that's actually quite quickly lose their memories. That's is that the connection? Do you think that's the connection, Vicky? No, I know it. I know it. <laughs> They're both films with some arbitrary rules to help move the plot along. <laughs> is that true? Pretty much every movie we've talked about. <laughs> yeah, Do, there is a problem. Are they films that both feature the stars of the Dancing in the Street video? Ugh. <laughs> Damn it! That is what I've written down. I thought you were going to go more general music stars, music icons, making movies. I have written down here my choice words for what connects these two movies. Films starring music legends that appeared together in 1985's UK number one cover of Dancing in the Street. Shall we remember that moment? If we must. Two rock gods appearing to take the piss in that video, the way they're dancing. It's... I disagree. I think we can all actually agree on both individually and collaboratively their finest work <laughs> ever. <laughs> so, yeah, David Bowie and Mick Jagger. We start with Bowie because it's Labyrinth. We do it chronologically, 1986. Vicky, take us away. I watched Labyrinth, where the world's worst babysitter faces down goblins, monsters and sexual overtures from a 40-year-old man in an ill-fitting catsuit, chucking some booze, glue and cigarettes, and that sounds like a normal Saturday night for any 15-year-old in the 1980s. (laughs) Wow, a little insight into into Vicky's youth. There's nothing to be afraid of. A world where anything seems possible and nothing is what it seems. 
David Bowie, um, obviously, um, I'm a big fan, like a lot of people. So let's just get this out of the way early. Mm. Chris, Alex, yep. what's your favourite of David Bowie's testicles? <laughs> 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 Sorry. Oh my god. Oh, I, do you know what? Okay, let's get the trousers situation out of the way because well, I want to I want to take it back a step first before we get there. How old were you when you first saw this? What's your first memory of seeing this? Because are you asking if I'd seen a man's penis before this movie? No, I'm just wondering how how dramatically this imprinted on your mind, this cock. <laughs> it's Genuinely, I watched it, I think I must have been like seven or eight years old, mm. at the right time to watch mm. Labyrinth. And I do not remember anything about the crotch area of music legend David mm. Bowie in this movie. And indeed, when I rewatched it for this show, I didn't notice it until that final scene when he comes in all dressed in white, looking ethereal. It's there for the whole film. Yeah, it is from the, from the get-go. What was your, what was your first uh, memory I of this I feel film? the same as that. So I watched it when I was young. I don't know how young I was. And it just washed over me. It's like, yeah, oh, agreed. creatures, puppets. Yep. You have no power over me. Brilliant. And then obviously watched it when I was a student. And it's very different when you watch it when you're a student. You're like, yeah, MC Escher, that's fucking brilliant. Oh, and there's um, a penis all the time. <laughs> The 80s were a very different time. <laughs> a very different time. But We have to say that on this show most weeks, I feel like. <laughs> and it's not even our fault, do you know what I mean? <laughs> we were the innocents. But, I mean, to look at it in a bigger picture, I honestly, I, I didn't recall it at the time. No, no. You were looking at other stuff. Hmm. There was a shit ton of puppets on screen singing. Oh, do you know, I think the bit where Hoggle is right next to it is on purpose. You know, there's a bit where he sort of presses up. He doesn't get the back of his head, but he kind of almost does. I can't remember what they're talking about. And it's like, if it wasn't obvious before, he's made someone that a shot choice has happened and it's become very obvious. I'm pleased we're doing this at the start because I, yeah. I do feel, that, as in the movie, this would distract from our analysis okay. yeah. of Labyrinth if we didn't address it he head on. Like really stare it down. <laughs> let's, let's Look get, it in the eye. <laughs> let's get Bowie's bugle out of the way. Um, do you want a bit of an explanation as to how and why it happened? What, the trousers? Yes. Yeah, sure. So um, there's a fantastic book that Titan published a couple of years ago called The Ultimate Visual History. Mike of, Tyson? <laughs> Titan, Titan. Oh, sorry, Titan. Of, of uh, Labyrinth. And in it... Although it would be great if this was Mike Tyson's <laughs> favourite film. Uh, is it Brian Froud? I, I've, just, I've forgotten it his is. name. Yeah, yes. it is. Okay, who? who came up with the designs for this film, came up with the idea with um, Jim Henson. He writes in the book, uh, we got in a bit of trouble about how tight his pants were, but the choice was deliberate. We're not looking at reality. We're inside this girl's head. Jareth had tight pants because he is many, many things that a teenage girl relates to. He's a rock star. He's also a leather jacket guy, a classic bad boy, and he's Heathcliff. He's an amalgam of the inner fantasies of this girl. That's extremely problematic. And indeed, actually, if you look in that opening scene where you see a lot of stuff in a bedroom, there are there is a photo, a couple of photos of David Bowie, the rock star. Oh, is there? Yes. So he exists in her universe, and that's why Jared look Jareth looks like her in the in yeah. her fantasy. There's nothing wrong well, with that. I've so wait. So she's aware of David Bowie, the rock star, the rock star, yes. as in the musician David Bowie. Mm. And when he appears as Jareth and goes, "I'm Jareth, the Goblin King," does she not go? No, you're not. You're David Bowie. Why doesn't she do that? Why well, does she all, not go... But all, all the toys around her bedroom are like the toys in uh, the, the creatures she meets in mm. the film. She doesn't recognise any of them either. It's kind of this weird waking dream she's Blue. having. Which is <laughs> <laughs> a hell of a thing. That takes us back to... Um... That sounded like the voice of experience. It's a, it's a hell of a thing, kids. Don't go there. Auntie Vicky went there for you, let me tell you. Don't go there. I've done all these things, so you don't have to. I haven't. Um... <laughs> That takes us to an interesting... Well, I say interesting, I found it quite boring, but let's just, for the sake of balance, let's call it interesting for now and see what you think. Is it in, your, is it in Sarah, Jennifer Connelly's head or not? Certainly, reading quotes from all these people in the book who made the movie, it's in her head. Okay. But then the... Oh, what? Really? I thought they'd go the other way. They're saying, so what's happened? The, the baby's crying in the other room. She's had a nap and dreamt all this up. Yeah. And then, which means that the ending really makes no sense. I wasn't going to jump to the ending right now, but the ending when they're all having a party in a room. Yeah. Is she having a psychotic episode at that point? Or, or, or it, just, it just contradicts everything that's gone before. Yeah, because her parents have gone, come home at that point because her dad goes, we're home. Oh, yeah, he says, are you in? It's like, I should fucking <laughs> help you are because we left you in charge of a baby. <laughs> but, she, but like, 
she waits. She doesn't immediately yeah, she go. Goes, what a dick? Yeah. She doesn't immediately go. Yeah, of course I'm here. Yeah. Baby's asleep. Yeah. She goes. She goes. Yeah, let them worry. It's going to take some photos. Don't. <laughs> oh, what was the question? <laughs> Am I it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're just doing some yeah, glue. Baby's fine. I I think that's all. That's also a product. That confusion of the fact that there there were 25 different scripts for this film. Yeah, it went through so many iterations. It had so many screenwriters. I mean, there's only one credited, Terry Jones, mm. but George Lucas had a go at it. Um, Jim Henson and some members of his family did. Some of the writers of Fraggle Rock did. You can tell. And then to flesh out the character. Character of Sarah Elaine May, who wrote Tootsie and Heaven Can Wait and The Birdcage, uh, had a go at it. So, so Terry Jones basically he hasn't disowned it. I don't. Th- I think he's still proud of the movie, but he says what is on screen is very different to the script yeah. he wrote. And one of the big things was he wrote a script which never revealed yep. the centre of the labyrinth. Yep. And he says his biggest regret is that Jim Henson, when yep. David, well, once David Bowie came on board, he was like, um, Bowie's going to be in the centre of the labyrinth and we're going to have him singing songs, so we're going to need to show that now. And Terry Jones, against his will a little bit, rewrote it to include the centre of the labyrinth, but he always felt you removed a massive hook, and I agree. You do. Of course mm. you do. It's the classic fairy story. You have to, you know, you pick your way through the scary woods and the forest and you get to the spooky castle and then you see what's inside. Mm. It, it's not, it ruins everything to just, <laughs> especially because of what goes on with magic dance <laughs> like oh. if you're going to show up the castle maybe make it better than that and baby said now I'm not a parent uh, as you may have guessed however <laughs> I did watch David Bowie chucking that kid about wearing very slippery looking leather gloves yeah. and I, it took my breath away uh, yeah. in a uh, terrifying way. <laughs> That's the thing. You, you, you know it's not a baby you... the whole time. When it's being chucked. When it's chucked about 10 metres in the air. Yeah, I know that's yeah. not a baby. Just a second. I know. I know the <laughs> 80s were different, but not that different. <laughs> Although I did enjoy that scene because Michael Jackson was considered for that role. And you're like, Michael Jackson with a baby, that would have been a real... Like, people mm. could... He could then go, it was all right on the set of Labyrinth. Why is it not all right on the balcony in France? <laughs> oh, no. That's the thing. David Bowie is chucking that baby around like only... It's parents should, I think. <laughs> and you... But you what, watch the behind the scenes, like, the mum is literally on the floor just by him. I'm not surprised. Like, you can say what you like about CGI and it, like, ruins uh, a very theatre-like aspect to it. It would have done to a film like this where you've got a human interacting with um, another person in a costume or a set or something like that. But that means that baby really was surrounded by 50 puppets and David Bowie and David Bowie's penis probably for a whole day. And you've got to think about mentally. The What's effect. the most terrifying thing? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. and he recently spoke about it. Who the baby? Toby Stroud, not a baby anymore. No, a man Froud. now. A man <laughs> now. Froud. Toby Froud, yeah, yeah. Brian Froud's uh, son. Yeah. Because um, interestingly, when they first came up with the idea, Brian Froud drew a painting of the goblins with a baby in the middle before his own child had been conceived and his child ended up looking identical to the baby he'd drawn. What a load of bollocks. Yeah. That's either a beautiful, like being in communion with your future self or it's that you know what you look like so you draw me <laughs> you. <laughs> or it's that all babies look essentially the same. He does get apparently uh, Toby, uh, Toby Froud does get yeah. shouted at. <laughs> Sorry, I just said it to Vicky. She went, oh yeah. <laughs> It does look a bit oh, like it. Oh, he does as well. <laughs> oh, I take that back. Sorry, Brian. But Toby, Toby Froud gets uh, shouted at a, a lot. He gets, uh, are you the babe? The babe with the power? And I hate to say that I would be that guy. <laughs> I would be the guy who went, wait, are you the baby from Labyrinth? The babe with the power? Are you? Are you the babe with the power? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Toby, 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 come back. <laughs> and he actually works in puppets now. Mm. He didn't he work on the Dark Crystal? Yeah, um, the new one, the, the new, new Netflix one, yeah. one, along with his dad, Brian. And do you know what his production company's called? I'm a scared baby. <laughs> Have a guess. Uh, Repress memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stripey Pajama Productions. Oh, oh, isn't that cute? That is cute. He's a cute baby, actually, I think. Yeah, I don't know. My life, I cries a lot. I was at the start. I was like, "Oh my!" I would be like, "Goblins, come and take this I brat really away!" Because she, she, like, honestly, when they're like, "Oh, Sarah, we're going out for the night." The baby's fed and in bed. It's like you lazy bitch. Like the hard work is done. <laughs> what you got to do? Sit around and watch telly for four hours. Yeah. So they kind of set her up, I think, as quite an annoying, quite un- dislikable kid. And and then through the course of the film, she learns these lessons that turns her into a much more well-adjusted do- person. At I the don't end. think she does learn lessons. Like well, that's the I, no, Yeah, she's she, not that well-adjusted. If you've seen Requiem for a 
dream. Things go bad. <laughs> which is a sequel to this film. I had that written down. Jeez, that movie. That was your fault, Vicky. I watched that when we lived together. I know, it was all. <laughs> we all just had to leave the room Truly one of the most harrowing visual experiences mm. yeah. I've had. I don't know whose idea that was. Like, you... Was anyone feeling a bit edgy? Should we watch Requiem for a Dream? <laughs> I mean, did you find her unpleasant at the start of the film? Because that certainly struck me watching it again this time. Like precocious, but mm. a child and a teenager. So obviously mm. meant to be unforgivable for that. I mm. mean, overconfident, uh, for sure. Like when she sees the labyrinth for the first time before she enters it, when she's going to rescue Toby, she goes, that doesn't look too hard. Uh, it does. How many labyrinths have you seen? <laughs> it looks like a living nightmare. And she's like, this shouldn't take too long. She doesn't mind talking to herself a lot, which always is a sign of extreme self-confidence. Which is why I think she's very good in it, because it can't have been easy doing that. And there's a quote from her where she says, at the start, it was quite difficult talking to puppets, but very soon Dave and I got over it. I'm like, I'm going to hope that on day one, David Bowie said to you, just call me Dave. Because otherwise, that's a bit presumptuous. It's Mr Bowie. (laughs) She, uh, so there were a couple, you you mentioned Michael Jackson earlier. They they found a list of names that Jim Henson had for that role and the same for um, this role before he cast Jennifer Connelly. So Helen Bonham Carter was up for it. Which makes perfect sense. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Laura Dern, Marissa Tomei, Ali Sheedy and Jane Krakowski. See, Helen Bonham Carter is an interesting idea because it seems very... um, British, maybe even English in its sensibilities. Mm. The sort of um, well, there's a lot of English accented creatures she meets along the way. Do you mean the false alarm that I think was from Bolton? <laughs> really took me by surprise. One of the false alarms on the walls is like, "Hey, up, oh, <laughs> how's they going?" <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, that's you mean those big faces yeah, the that faces. are like, "Beware, yeah, you're going wrong yeah, way." <laughs> that's a really nice scripted moment that I think is <laughs> yeah. probably Terry Jones. Yeah, where Hole goes, yeah, yeah, don't tell us. You tell other people. He's like, but I haven't had to say it for ages. <laughs> Let me say it, and Hoggle goes. All right, say it, but don't expect a reaction. <laughs> yeah. And I think partly that's because of, you can't get more American than Muppets, but they were made in England and shot in England mm. and Elstree. And the same with Labyrinth, it's set in America, but it was shot in England. So plot-wise, what happens is she's got a crying baby that she doesn't want to babysit, Jennifer Connelly, and so she wishes that the baby is taken away by the goblins and indeed the Goblin King, and uh, Bowie makes a huge entrance mm. in a way that I like to believe I walk into rooms. Uh, <laughs> you know, grand entrance, lightning behind him. Through a him, window. <laughs> through, through a window into a child's bedroom. And, As an owl, maybe. <laughs> He comes in. Oh, do you know what the owl? That owl reminded me. Have you seen this? You must have seen the staircase. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that so right. much. Staircase, true crime, crime series about a guy who is convicted of his oh, wife's yeah. murder and yeah. then release, and she basically falls down a stairwell. Do you know the most recent thing about owls, where they actually believe that what caused her to fall down the stairs wasn't someone pushing her, wasn't an accident. She was attacked by an owl. Mm. Yeah, and it raked her head. It raked Mm. her head, caused all the injuries because they found something resembling owl DNA in the scratches. What? So when I saw the owl... I... And I... Yeah, that owl theory is fine. And you would have had me, apart from he did it to someone else as well. No! He's got a trained owl. (laughs) Not the owl. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if that's true? Meeting in a bus shelter. Meeting in a bus shelter, passing the owl a bag of mice. And a photograph of his latest wife. He's basically basically Harry Potter. (laughs) Oh, my God. Hedwig, I've got another mission. <laughs> this scene when Jareth arrives on the scene, this is my distinct memory from childhood watching this. It wasn't from seeing it in the cinema. It was a few weeks before seeing the TV special they did inside the labyrinth where they showed David Bowie, who I'd never seen before, to be honest, standing there with a bloke behind him playing with his balls. Oh, yeah. And, the reach and, around. And it, was, <laughs> and it was just a magical thing to watch on the telly. I mean, that sounds dodge. But like... This guy really can do magic with these yeah. balls. And it's he can't like, see. Yeah. That's the he other thing. He can't see. Yeah. And he's like, and so you were seen behind the scenes, uh, maybe the first time I'd seen behind the scenes of a film as well, but he was in such pain every time they take yeah. a break. He'd be like, oh. And then <laughs> have you noticed when he drops them, he apologises to David. He's like, oh God, sorry, I've done it again. It's like, babe, you're doing so <laughs> yeah. well. Like, don't worry about it. I do question the idea of his title being a ball handler. <laughs> <laughs> what would you prefer? Ball wrangler? <laughs> Much better. <laughs> ball juggler? Much better, yeah. But the goblins take the child and apparently, it is uh, a tradition. Uh, it's a tradition that goblins will steal children, which on the surface sounds like a, a horrible tradition. But, you know, if it's part of their culture and uh, this day and age, <laughs> who are we to deny them that? 
They are allowed to steal as many children. It's a cultural thing. <laughs> and is the baby going to turn into a goblin? Yeah, that's what They're David all... Bowie claims. Right. There was a great idea, which I loved, where at the end, a, a possible ending was where he was luring Jennifer Connelly and she resisted him and kicked him. And as she kicked him, he regressed from this mm. sexy goblin king into a disgusting foul goblin. Yeah. And I, was, I was like, that was a Terry Jones idea. That's a great yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. Great idea. idea. Better ending. So when I watched this as a kid, I remember loving the bits with the puppets. Mm-hmm. I remember loving all the puzzles in the labyrinth. I remember loving the humour. Mm. And I remember absolutely hating every single song. Oh, God. <laughs> I, every time I remember, and I think it, at the time, because I didn't know David Bowie, I didn't know him as this music icon. I just saw him mm. as this guy. I'm like, do not like this guy. This mm. guy is ruining this movie because we have to have dance, magic dance. It's not, well, a, it's not a Bowie classic. It's not up there on your top 10 for your Bowie karaoke by no means. Well, that brings me to a question I was going to ask both of you. Would this film be better without the music? That's yes. The, that's the question you have to ask yourself because if the script... I just asked you. <laughs> <laughs> She, yeah. she always does yeah, this. Yeah. So what, what, what are you thinking, Chris? <laughs> I ask a question and then she says that she pretends I've lost it. really touchy this morning. <laughs> um, I, I, my answer is quite simply yes. I like Magic Dance because I think it's a really fun scene. I think all the other songs feel out of place. And the trouble with Magic Dance is it just makes him seem so much less threatening as well as a yeah, villain. Yeah, do you think? <laughs> yeah. And this is the thing about his entire performance, because there are moments where he's genuinely quite funny. Um, yeah. Uh, forgetting Hoggle's name all the time. And there's a warmth to him. And you're like, oh, he's just having a laugh. I'm going to turn you into a prince. The prince of the bog of stench. And you're like, cool, that's nice. But really, <laughs> then there are bits later on, that whole ball thing in the globe. And he's like, yes. it's all a bit creepy. Because the tone is off. Because if he, so if David Bowie was responsible for shape, um, shaping the tone of the script, so he wanted it to be less overtly sexual in that goblin ball scene, and he wanted it to be funny, then you can have that because it's a kids' film. But then it's very awkward to then still involve what was variously referred to, which obviously I've got an issue with, a sexual awakening or a sexual blossoming, like women are flowers, beautiful flowers, and if it was a boy, it would be like burgeoning sexuality or like. Oh. Something with power, Question. whatever. Yeah. If you were a flower, what flower would you be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd be it? like a sword or a dagger or a gun. Yeah, or something. I'd be like a gun flower. <laughs> Have you heard of the gun flowers? Oh, I'd be like a wasp flower. <laughs> like... Have you seen Little Shop of Horrors? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I really hated that scene when I was a kid because it was just boring as yeah, well. Yeah, but that's because like... as an adult, you're watching that, you're like, masked ball pretty much always equals orgy. So <laughs> where's well, it's, my orgy? It's, 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 I, feel like, I feel like Kubrick watched that before shooting Eyes Wide Shut. You know, you were talking about these immersive experiences you're going through at the moment. Do <laughs> I'm you always just secretly, me... <laughs> like, fingers crossed, like, is it going to be the one? <laughs> you are not allowed back to secret cinema. I'm sorry. <laughs> This was an orgy. <laughs> I'll just put my clothes back on and get on the bus. I bought a VIP ticket. And that, oh, and still no nothing? Sure. <sighs> they, the, 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 the filmmakers talk about this scene, though, is the scene where he becomes sexual. And that's, that's the, they believe that's the first time he becomes truly dangerous to her. And to the audience. Yeah. And it's as much about him as her, this scene. Uh, but what, because he's worried... Oh, see, now that's bullshit, isn't it? Because a lot of... Um, there are a lot of men in this world that are like, well, she tempted me into it and we can't be having that, I'm afraid, because she's a child. So just no, big no, big red fucking cross through that. Um, and the idea of a young girl being sexually, whatever, awakened or blah, 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 by an older man, is, that's not the problem. That's a, that's understood. I get that. That mm. is like perfectly acceptable, perfectly reasonable. When you're a teenage girl, you take these messages that you need to be available to be overpowered and you can sometimes like run with it and definitely try and hook up with a much older man because boys at that age are a bit shit. But then eventually we sort of settle down. My God, that's right. My The girl I fancied when I was 15 years old at school was going out with a 26-year-old who drove yeah. a Vauxhall Astra. <laughs> you I, can't compete with that shit. I was like, what? <laughs> I had to wait until she was 17 and I was like 17 and she was eventually like, do you want to go out? And I'm like... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Still don't have a Vauxhall Astra, but is that cool? <laughs> See, I've got the same stories. I, say, I don't end up with a girl at the end of them. Oh, Chris. Bloody hell, Alex. <laughs> it was really 
common when I was at school. Everybody had of an course, older boyfriend. Yeah, of Everybody. course, of course. This is part of the problem with this film is I think it certainly for a kid it was all over the place because that stuff was too adult for me. I didn't understand the the Bowie stuff or who this bloke was. I just wanted to see the puppets. And then when you get older, it's just this big confused hodgepodge of ideas yeah. and and. I think it does contradict itself over and over again. I don't understand half of the advice and philosophy she's dishing out or getting given. It's like... But what it does do, uh, I'm going to stick up for this movie, Mm. not just because I picked it, but because watching it again, you do look at it and you go, that movie today would not be made with puppets, with sets, everything on that screen would be CGI. Very sad. It is. I miss the Muppets. I loved Fraggle Rock. Yeah. I used to have a 45 single of the same tune to Fraggle Rock and I used to get stoned and play it at uh, 33 and it's a totally cool, like, slow down. <laughs> dum, 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 I think I would dum, just regress dum, so quickly dum, if I were to hear it again. It's really great. If you have the 45 vinyl of Fraggle Rock, go, go to your record player and play it at 33. So shall we talk about some of the creatures in Labyrinth? I think I feel like we've overlooked them a little thus far. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Sir Didymus is my favourite. Yes, me too. <laughs> me too. Mm. Okay, good. <laughs> Respect to uh, Hoggle, though. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I think Hoggle's a really interesting character, possibly the most interesting character of all the creatures in it. I like the fact that... I don't like him. I like the fact that he's very honest very early on about who he is. There's a great line where he says to her when she's like, why don't you just come and help me? and defeat the Goblin King. And he goes, look, you have to understand my position. I'm a coward and Jareth scares me. (laughs) (laughs) And and did you see that behind-the-scenes footage of the six people bringing him to life? It just looked impossible. And yet it was possible. Well, there's a quote there, isn't there? Um, It always seems impossible until it is done. Ah, and the other quote, impossible is my middle name. (laughs) Yeah, my quote was from Nelson Mandela, and I believe that one was the same. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's uh, when they said, you'll never get out of prison, it'll be impossible. He's like, impossible is my middle name. Nelson Impossible Mandela. I did cry at the end when they appear behind her in the mirror and they each say goodbye. I I think I'm getting more and more emotional I as I get older. Well. Are you but- pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, what about Ludo? Can we talk about Ludo? Hate Ludo. Sorry. Well, I haven't got much of an opinion on Ludo. No? I think he's great. I, what is actually one of the uh, moments that I remember from watching it as a kid is those horrible, bald rat monsters on the sticks that the oh, yeah. goblins are using to bite him. The angry fetuses. And I remember being really sympathetic towards him. And apparently he made an appearance on the red carpet, which is a royal premiere they had for Labyrinth in the UK. Yeah. Uh, Prince Charles, uh, Princess Diana were there and on the red carpet was Ludo. Were you hosting it? (laughs) It was my first one, 1986. (laughs) Hello, I'm Alex Zane. Welcome to the royal premiere. (laughs) And Ludo was on the carpet and Prince Charles apparently saw Ludo and went, isn't it wonderful? Wow. Isn't he <laughs> wonderful? Honestly. And that was the quote that they got printed, but I honestly wonder where it was. Radio 4 <laughs> is listening in right now. You are like, keep it up. <laughs> but honestly, you wonder, because of Prince Charles, whether he got, isn't it wonderful? Can I hunt it? <laughs> it's like a very big fox. <laughs> I know we've talked a lot about this 40-year-old David Bowie versus 14-year-old mm. Jennifer Connelly and the, the, the connotations. I don't see the overtly sexual thing. And I'm surprised that so many of the filmmakers are talking about it because, to me, there's a real innocence about this movie. So I'm just laying my cards on the table. Well, Henson had three daughters uh, uh, who just passed through this age, all three of them. Okay. Um, and he was, make, you know, he was making a film for his daughters because there was, weren't enough films for young women around that time. And what's a 13-year-old girl think of this, you know, watching this at the time or watching it for the first time at that age? Because that's who I feel like it's aimed at. Yeah, I mean, there is an illicit thrill that is absolutely valid and mm. you can explore that. Um, I mean, I think, Alex, you are being a bit naive. I mean, Jim Henson said, David Bowie embodies a certain maturity with his sexuality, his disturbing aspect, all sorts of things that characterise the adult world. So it was on purpose. George Lucas said, Jareth is the devil. I mean, that sounds um, strong. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I guess I saw him and I went, one day 
I'm going to wear trousers <laughs> that tight. And I did. But Bowie, Bowie is more on your side here, though, in the way he played it. He says, I think Jareth is, at his best, a romantic, but at worst, a spoilt child, vain and temperamental, kind of like a rock star. Look, David Bowie said about this, I'd always wanted to be involved in the music writing aspect of a movie that would appeal to children of all ages. It had a lot of heart. The script itself was terribly amusing without being spiteful. I was hooked from the beginning. That yeah. doesn't sound like a man who went, I wanted to play a sexual predator in a kid's movie. Yeah, I know. But then you circle back because then you're like, but what about the cat suit? See, it's, it's, you see, you go, you go round and round forever. It was the 80s. Fashion was crazy. <laughs> And he can't help being sexual. Mm. Very sexual man. I, I heard a story that he wasn't particularly happy with this film years later, uh, partly because he couldn't remember making it. I don't know if that's true or not, but I believe that the the uh, Shaun of the Dead guys in the scene where they're throwing the records, they wanted to use Labyrinth and he won't give up the rights to it for anyone okay. because he just wants it to go away and pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. Maybe he feels different, well, maybe he felt differently about it a few years later, but at that time it was just something he was like, oh yeah, that was a bit of a weird thing I did. And, and... There's, um, have you seen the, I'm not going to rip it off, I'm going to directly reference it, the um, the Honest trailer for this. So they open it. It's very, very funny. It's on YouTube. So it says, from Jim Henson and Terry Jones starring David Bowie comes a kid's film that's as weird as you'd expect from Jim Henson, Terry Jones starring <laughs> David Bowie. <laughs> that is true. That's enough. what I was going to say. Have you ever read uh, Eric the Viking by Terry Jones? There are some weird moments. I remember being read it by my mum as a kid and sort of going, why is there a naked old man in the sea? There's a whole bit with the old man of the sea and it makes a point of going, he's naked, apart from his beard. And you're like, this is creepy. Um, I, I'm sure you guys saw at least some of these names, but in the book they had the full list of names they found that Jim Henson initially wrote down to play the role. So you mentioned Michael Jackson. Mm. Sting was obviously came came close to getting the role. Mm. Uh, David Lee Roth. Did not Ooh. know that one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Rod Stewart. Okay. Uh, this is a weird. This would be a good one. Freddie Mercury. Really? Yep. Um, Prince. Yeah. Can we just rewind one? <laughs> Freddie Mercury, I think, would have been phenomenal. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. In that role, I agree because I thought no one else could play that role, and then it's like, oh, actually, um, Prince would have been an interesting sure. direction to go in. <laughs> she would have been taller than him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and finally, and I think you're going to like this one. Mick Jagger. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I saw that when I was like, what? There are some overtly sexual lyrics in uh, some of the songs, I think, which is also but adds a layer of weirdness to it. Yeah, so I know he knew he was making the soundtrack to a kid's movie. <laughs> exactly, so you don't need to say anything else. Also, you know, that sentence. there are only so many words that rhyme. <laughs> what? With, With clock. vagina? <laughs> <laughs> a song's a song he probably didn't think he was like that's a great lyric I'm going to put that in she's 14 oh man have we got time to re-rick we don't okay uh, I'll just deal with the fallout he, he, he said in that TV special that he's pretty sure that Jareth would, would rather be um, hanging out in Soho than doing what he's doing yeah he's loose she's you know there is apparently a sequel Mm. A sp- sequel slash I, spin-off. I might know the person directing it. Very obvious. And I messaged him, but I haven't got a message back yet. Oh, really? I don't think he'd give us the exclusive for this podcast because he's been <laughs> keeping shtum about it. But um, I mean, the girl, though, eh? I respect that. Yeah. Nah, d- <laughs> yeah. written by Nicole Perman, who did... Um, Guardians of the Galaxy script. Yeah, and obviously uh, Fede Alvarez did uh, the brilliant Don't Breathe, so I'm quite excited. Evil Dead. He's a good dude. Yeah, um, Evil Dead, I was... Yeah, but Evil Don't Dead. Breathe was brilliant. Yeah, Evil Dead was better. Really? So the the tragic thing about... Are you serious? The 2013 remake of Evil Dead? I really liked Evil Dead. I I thought it was really effective. It's better than Don't Breathe. Yeah, it scared me more. I I thought Don't Breathe got a bit silly. Oh, no, I thought Don't Breathe Breathe was one of those movies. Both good films. Fede, if you're listening, both good films. Yeah, all right, yeah, I wasn't saying it was a bad film. We've just got to get the order right, and you've got it wrong. So, sorry. <laughs> Fede, I, I know I'm addressing you directly. I don't know you. But let me just jump in here. Love both your movies. If I texted you, I know you'd reply. So, <laughs> that, thank you for the text that all we will receive. But right now, just say, don't breathe slightly better for me. It's a personal thing. All right, cheers, Fede. Shall we say, talk about something a bit sad, then? Um, <laughs> Labyrinth opened at number eight at the US box office mm-hmm. week of release so it's behind Karate Kid 2 Back to School Legal Eagles Ruthless People Running Scared Top Gun and Ferris Bueller I mean that was a strong week 
Um, but still, it's it's just it's just sad. It, it grossed thirteen million dollars, and it was this, it was just heartbreak for um, Jim Henson, and he didn't direct another film. No, but I did read that his son said that by the time of his death in nineteen ninety, he'd become aware that it had grown into this cult favorite, yeah. and people loved it. So he did leave us uh, knowing that people had fallen in love with Labyrinth. And you can't put a price on um, invading children's nightmares for the rest of the <laughs> Can you? Can you? Exactly. <laughs> I do like the quote that uh, Duncan Jones did say that he got the urge to become a filmmaker, David Bowie's son, from spending all the time he spent on the set of Labyrinth, which I think is wonderful. So if it has a legacy, the legacy is great shit like Moon and Source Code. He controlled a little uh, goblin up in one of the windows in one scene. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now we're on to Free Jack Chris. Free Jack plays out in a futuristic 2009, where nuns have guns, the poor eat rats, and dying rich folk transfer their consciousness into the bodies of people from the past. With the film's villain deciding that the perfect vessel for his brain is inside the star of Mighty Ducks 1, 2 and 3. <laughs> oh dear. Why me? Why don't they just grab somebody who's alive now? Take a look at these people, Alex. They've lived half their lives with a ozone layer. Welcome to my mind. Don't resist. Lose your mind and you can live forever. So, how happy are you that I gave you Free Jack? Because I had to rewatch this and I haven't rewatched this since probably about 1993, 94 when it came out mm. on VHS. I really enjoyed it again. I enjoyed it as a kid and I enjoyed watching it and I will defend this. I think this is a much maligned cyberpunk sci fi. Have you ever been so ill that you've hallucinated and then different patches of different stories and then, oh, Mighty Ducks, and then, is that Mick Jagger? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fever dream. Um, 
which is not the end of the world. You know, that can be quite a good fun, but oh, I don't know. I found it a bit hard going. There's about four hours where someone's walking through a warehouse. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. That is, uh, granted, I knew, do you know what? I even knew you'd pick up on that bit where <laughs> the Sendek, Mick Jagger's character, is hunting <laughs> Emilio Estevez mm-hmm. and it's the slowest chase Jesus. ever. And you're like, <laughs> Wow, this yeah. has been going on a while. I wasn't a fan of it at the time, and I'm still not a fan of it because it just feels derivative of so many better other science fiction stories, uh, all of which hit screens around before and after this film, and all of which were written by Philip K. Dick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, which is ironic because this was loosely based on a novel that came out long before Philip K. Dick wrote those books. Immortality Incorporated. Yes, yeah. by Robert Sheckley from 1959. Mm. So Very uh, loosely based on it. I think yeah. that is just about the shifting of consciousness from one person into yes, another. into a brain-dead body. Yeah. Um, Ron Suchet, who, who um, wrote and produced this film, he read that while he was studying theatre at UCLA and never forgot it. Um, Suchet went on to write and produce Total Recall. But I've got no doubt that the direct success of Total Recall led to this two years later, happening a year later, because there are so many similarities and yet I feel like one tells the story well and the other one, it just gets, it's just so dull. You're done. Do you you want to rebut now or shall we talk about the story a bit? Because I think we have to do a fair bit of setting up with this one because A, I don't think everyone will have seen it. Really? Um, (laughs) The main interesting thing about this is Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger playing the villain Vesendek. Uh, Mm. Now, I think he is absolutely brilliant. And I'll tell you for why. He is the only person, it seems, who knows he's in a very not great (laughs) movie. And he performs accordingly. And my theory is that if this isn't your main job and you're like... I'm in the Rolling Stones, you know, (laughs) then you do not really mind that you're there going... Get the meat. <laughs> but then there's an echo and it goes, meat, 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 <laughs> forever. <laughs> uh, we'll have to see how the quality of this is, but this is Mick Jagger talking about... Is this on Entertainment Tonight? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you found it? You, have, you, have you got it as I've well? I've got it quite loud. You do the computer. loud version then. All right. This is, gives you a little bit of an insight into how he got the role and why he took it. Yeah. And it <laughs> but mainly how much thought <laughs> yeah. he put into starring in Free Jack. Here we go. <clears throat> It's his first movie in over 20 years, but he told Garrett Glazer that his decision to do it was rather spur of the moment. Right now I'm working on a solo album project, and just before that started, they said, well, would you like to do this feature? And I said, let me see it. So they said, well, I've got to know, we've got to know by next week because it starts shooting in three weeks. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So probably if I had six months to think about it, I probably would have turned it down and said, oh, no, it's not quite the one I want. <laughs> if, I'd had, if I'd had six months to think about it, yeah. I probably would have turned it down. Yeah. I mean, if anything, there's a lesson to filmmakers there. Go, you got a week, think about it, and you will get Mick Jagger. <laughs> but do you want him? Yeah. Can we also, I, I, just because that interview is fascinating in terms of the time capsule it represents, do you want to hear about what Mick Jagger got up to with Emilio Estevez uh, when they were shooting in Atlanta in this movie? Emilio Estevez, uh, what was it like working with him? Um, I enjoyed working with him. I thought it was a really good fun guy. We went out a few times, went to a few strip clubs in Atlanta. Did you? That's what people do in Atlanta. It's like perfectly okay, darling. I'm off to the strip club after work. Mick Jagger seems to be displaying his famous playboy image, but with his recent marriage to longtime girlfriend Jerry Hall and the birth of their third child, Mick's fifth altogether, you'd think the rock star would be the perfect picture of a family man. Guess again. You can have five kids, you know. Without actually being a fan. Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. That's very unkind. If any of my children are watching, I didn't mean it. Okay. What did he just say? You can have five kids without really being a family man. Jeez, what a... I say this every week. What a thing it must be to be a man. It was different times. Um, oh, but that, no. that, 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 that full entertainment tonight is quite incredible. It's a, it, there's, a, there's a premiere screening of it attended by none other than... David. Gary Boosie. <laughs> well, I was going to kick off with David Bowie. Oh. oh right. <laughs> Sorry, I get so excited about Gary Boosie every time. But but Gary Gary Boosie does add some depth to proceedings by, by when he's asked what he thought of the film, he says, Free Jack is a great statement about what could happen if we don't get our heads out of the sand. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a Gary Can we, come on, yeah, Gary so Boosie right there, ladies sorry, and gentlemen. Sorry, Chris, that's a bit, I haven't done a single impression. <laughs> I can't feel pressured into them. Don't let him make you do things you're not comfortable with. That's a rule for the rest of your life. Right, as I said, before we get too Party! deep into this. <laughs> before we get too deep into this, should we talk about the film's plot? Because sorry, people yeah. need to have a clue what this film's I about. I would like to talk about the plot because I'd never heard of this film and I watched it. And that's as much as I'm going to say about that. All I will say is even if Mick Jagger, it's interesting to hear that interview, even if he wasn't 100% like, this is the best thing I've ever read, is he not the guardian of his own image and you expect living, walking, red hot, carnal energy? And when you first see him, he just sort of takes his hat off and goes like, Let's do this. <laughs> it's like, I was expecting like raw fucking sex to walk across the screen and smash buildings to pieces with his energy, and that doesn't happen. You, at you, all. you cast. We'll get onto the plot just one second. No, well, you cast Mick Jagger, and what I love is like he's meant to be this um, hard as nails bounty hunter slash, as they call him in the film, Bone Jackers. Yeah, cool. Awful, awful name, <laughs> and. Like they've gone right, Mick. You've got to wear this big military-style helmet. He's like, "Yeah, I'll do that, but I'm gonna to have to have my fringe just sticking out from underneath because it's my hair. It's what people know about Mick. <laughs> it's like, and also because he's so thin and waif-like, yeah. and that helmet is so big, he yeah. looks like a lollipop. Yeah, he does. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, all the helmets make them look silly in this film, don't they? This is, I think, some of the costume design and automobile design leaves a bit to be desired. Do this you, is not a cool look at the future, is it? I don't know. I like the fact that they've really got the sound design when Mick Jagger walks anywhere is creaking leather. Creaking <laughs> that leather. Is true. Creaking. Um, so, so do the plot. Let's yeah, get the plot so, out there. So Mick Jagger and his team of bone jackers, they snatch people from the past just prior to the moment of their deaths for use as substitute bodies. For people which, in the future. People in the future. Rich people who are in poor physical health or about to die, they can steal these young bodies and, and put their minds inside. Hmm. Um, in 1991, <laughs> Emilio Estevez plays Alex Furlong, who's a Formula One driver who is about to die. And so we meet him. He's a cocky young upstart. He's dating Rene Russo. Um, but then, bang, he has the crash and he wakes up in uh, 2009 and he's not, he's supposed to be, is he supposed to be dead or alive? So what's supposed to happen? <laughs> I'm is, really confused by this scene. <laughs> the moment they snatched him from the past... What's supposed to happen is they snatch them, but they when they arrive in the future, they're not meant to have any brain left, mm -hmm. like, and they're ju it's just a vessel for whatever reason from the transporting process. But he's still got all his brain power. They're trying to lobotomize him, and I think that bit where these doctors who are like, "We're in control. We're the ones in control. We're going to lobotomize you." All get lobotomized themselves. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a great dark moment. Possibly undone by the scene five minutes later where he sees a, a skyscraper that advertises the year he's in. It's like, welcome to 2009. And he has to check what year he's come from himself by looking at his own wristband <laughs> that says Alex Furlong, 1991. Like he'd forgotten when he used to live. Yeah. yeah. How big are his thighs in the opening scene, by the way? <laughs> I couldn't take my eyes off them. There was so much meat. 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 Get meat. the meat. 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 Maybe that's why he uses that line he's like look at those fucking thighs get me that meat 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 oh dear so from there on in it's caught of a cat and mouse game with um uh mick jagger trying to catch him mm. him trying to figure out what's going on him reconnecting with his ex mm. and then trying to uncover the mystery of who it is that wants his mm. body which is that the worst mystery in the history of films? Oh my god, he gets told about fifty times. It's Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. It's what? <laughs> do you uh, do you want to hear? Uh, do you want to hear what Anthony Hopkins uh, thinks of this movie? He appeared on Letterman and he was shown a series of photos from his previous movies. Anyway, this is him on Letterman talking about Free Jack. Uh oh, here's trouble. Look out! Get ready. Hang on. What's that? This is oh, Free that Jack. Mick Jagger. Yeah. Elio Estevez. Right. I didn't know who that is. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> and what was the idea? This was was this a like a, a futuristic? A it's a terrible film. Science. <laughs> Everyone's clapping. Like, yeah, it was fucking shit. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, not a fan of this movie. The first time we see Anthony Hopkins properly in this film, he's on a video screen. The second time he's on a video screen, he's literally phoning it in. Mm. <laughs> in his film. Very yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I actually quite enjoyed the crash at the start. Cause really I, good. I, I thought there was real tension. Yeah. I remember that so vividly from the trailer, actually, because this film got delayed by about a year, and so that 
trailer you saw very early on, and I remember that car crash looked amazing in 1991. Mm. And actually, the whole trailer is it's an it's a really strong trailer. It, I was so super excited about this yeah. film. Yeah. So. Obviously, uh, Anthony Hopkins is the one who's looking for Emilio Estevez's body because he's in love with Emilio Estevez's girlfriend, Rene Russo, and he thinks that if he has Emilio Estevez's body, she's going to love him back. He's dead for the whole movie, and he's contacting them from beyond the grave or the spiritual switchboard, yeah. which I like. <clears throat> I like the idea of there being a spiritual <laughs> switchboard, and I thought you might as well, Vicky, seeing as it sounds like something that might be an RIPD. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't mind it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I quite liked it. So what is, it, what is it? It's a supercomputer? Is it? Is it the early starts of the internet? There's definitely a green screen in there somewhere. Well, it's the early idea, which is really interesting that as before these things are invented, as human beings, we still have some notion of what they will be. So it's the cloud, obviously, but mm. just a 90s version of the cloud. Yeah. And the other thing I want to talk to you about, Vicky, purely because uh, we were talking about this recently and how much you uh, love Tony Gilroy. I know, I know. You know what I'm about to say? Yeah, I yeah. do. Dan Gilroy, his brother. I don't get it. I... Was one of the writers those Gilroy, on Free Jack. Those, those talented, talented <laughs> boys. <laughs> yeah, and then to use like your IMDB, Dan go, yeah, Nightcrawler, amazing. And then you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> How could this have happened? But right, do you know yeah. what his, his response would be? I've literally just met Rene Russo last week. We're going to get married. I couldn't give a shit about this film. Because <laughs> isn't that nice? Something good came out of this awful film. And they're still together today. And they actually did Nightcrawlers together. But he's um, he's such a dick to her <laughs> throughout that whole film. Who is? Dan Gilroy. No. Wow. Have you seen a behind the scenes that I haven't seen? No. Because that won't annoy me, but it will annoy the shit out of Chris. I mean, Dan Gilroy. <laughs> What? 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 It doesn't exist. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah, it was free on. <laughs> I got sent it. <laughs> Who he is? Fede Alvarez yeah. sent me it. He heard we were doing it on this show. <laughs> you missed out. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, someone's writing lines for Emilio Estevez that make him treat Rene Russo not very well. Mm. So there is, this is the most offensive line in the whole thing. And it's extremely, extremely offensive. They're about to shag again after 18 years apart. Mm. And she stops him and she says, stop. I'm so much older now. <laughs> and he's like, he's like trying to convince her. Like, like she's like, I'm a hag. Get off me. And it's like, you are obviously gorgeous. And towards the end, when the switcheroo has happened between Amelia Westerfeld and Anthony Hopkins, or has it or hasn't it, and there's a bit of trickery, mm. he then turns to his underlings. He's like, I'm pretending to be Anthony Hopkins. I'm going to leave here now. And you, Rene Russo, you are going to dress in something more appropriate and then we're going to leave. It's like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? Like, <laughs> but, no, but, he's, no, but he's being he's, Anthony yeah, Hopkins in that he's scene. Being, but he's Anthony Hopkins loves her. Why would yeah, he but he's also an her? arrogant prick. And yeah. it's the kind of thing he would say is one of the most richest men in the world. Um, there's a bit, because there's a whole other subplot to this, which is a corporate subplot. So the Which John I always bloody love in these sci-fi films. <laughs> Jonathan, intrigue. Jonathan Banks, who has uh, the best villainous face in cinema, plays uh, Mark Michelet, yeah. and he has a meeting with uh, Mick Jagger's character, Victor Vasendek. And there was a moment where I was like, I had to check IMDb because I was like, in this new world order, is there a new law that says the first letter of people's surnames shall be the same as the first letter <laughs> of their first names? <laughs> Um, can we talk about New York a bit now or what's happened in the intervening years? There's been some kind of trade war uh, that America has lost. There's been a 10-year depression. New York's now a collection of dangerous sectors where there's gun-toting gangs roaming the streets. Um, the rich lived in walled-off private communities, uh, whereas the poor are all hooked on new drugs that are really strong and apparently alcohol that's quite strong. I thought that. I thought the future doesn't seem all bad. He doesn't pay for that drink, number one, and it's quite strong, number two. Emilio Estevez has, has a drink at a bar called Revolution, which is a bit on the nose. Oh. And it's so strong, he thinks he sees Mick Jagger's wife asking him questions for the clip <laughs> channel. <laughs> the clip channel. Jerry Hall, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I was like, hang on. I'll tell you something that is good. Amanda Plummer. Well, oh, that's what, so that's what, before I got interrupted, I was going to say that... that, that <laughs> <laughs> Before, <that> me? <laughs> no, but I feel like we do that a lot I, actually, I, and we don't, and we need to. Think I feel about like that. Emilia. Do we, do we really need to think about that? <laughs> I feel maybe like maybe me and you should have a meeting <laughs> at some point. I feel like we'll I'm, have a drink and just discuss how we work this better on the show. Yeah. Open-ended questions. Yeah. Because it is something that needs talking about. 
Let's see how uh, long it takes for him to get really mad. I'm going <laughs> to sneeze. Honestly, we are poking a hornet's nest I've right run, now. I've run out of tissues as well now. Oh, I just want it to end. I'm so hot. I'm so hot. Thank you. More tissues, darling. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, if you don't know Amanda Plummer, she is obviously any of you fucking pricks move and I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you who is great in that and great in this. Have you seen her in Butterfly Kiss? Do you remember that? No, yeah, but yeah. I did swallow so a butterfly get... once. <laughs> did you? Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. It's like... Which is the same, that's the same thing. Yeah. Is that what the movie's about? Uh, yeah, kind of. You yeah. should watch it. <laughs> is it a sequel to The Butterfly Effect? I have seen that. <laughs> of course you have. I remember you <laughs> yeah. watching that. You were like, I've seen this amazing film. <laughs> it's like, shit, what's it about? You're like, if a butterfly flaps <laughs> its wings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is a good one to do. We should do The Butterfly Effect and A Sound of Thunder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go on, Chris. So she's a nun who has a huge shotgun and kicks men in balls. Yeah. And she's hardly in the film. Mm. Where yeah, you've got Emilio and Rene who to me, feel like they're sleepwalking through proceedings. Yes. You've got them two. And then I'd also want to bring up Eagle Man, played by Frankie Faison. Oh, the Eagle Babies thing. Oh, the, the yeah, man the, guy, the man yeah. The, the man eating the rats. What yeah. the fuck is that? That's like, a, I love it. I love that scene. That's a great moment. That is such a moment where everything stops and you just have this guy for sure, for use sure. the analogy of like, because Emilio Estevez is like, I'm giving up. Yeah. And the guy's like, would an eagle doing this ever go it's too hard to be an eagle and yeah. just drop to the ground and immediately the rest of it goes I see what you mean yeah I'm, and I get it can I have some river rap yeah and then he, he walks off and he says don't give up Alex Furlong so he knows who he is yeah yeah. And I thought, oh, he is like an in-disguise member of a resistance group that will be like, oh, come with me, we can get you to safety. No, because no? at that point, obviously, it's been revealed on all the news channels. $10 million. Uh, yeah, there's $10 a million reward for him. And this guy him. doesn't choose to turn him in or uh, anything. He okay. just gives him some sage advice. Yeah, okay. All right. And he and also on his way. gives you a nice little lesson on how to prepare river rat. Which was interesting. Which yes. you never mm. know mm. when yes. you might need to know that. Mm. Cut off the head and tail. I mean, it's pretty standard butchery. Got I'm it. not having a go at him, but no, what else no. But do? it's all about the sauce. I felt like it was all very similar to Nando's. <laughs> What's your sauce in Nando's? Let me guess, you have no sauce. <laughs> and, 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 and also, why do you say that? You, I, I always have the herb one, and then it's always more. You have the herb sauce. It's more hot than I'm wanting it to be. Like a, you're such a. So mom. I think I think I have medium now. I think I have medium now. I've got a card from Nando's that gives me unlimited Nando's. Have you? No, you haven't. No, they don't exist. Look at his face. You do. Oh, so let's move on to. Why have you never taken us to Nando's? Uh, Did this can we talk to... about David Johansson from the New York Dolls? Yes, because he is. Fucking phenomenal. So in the this third movie. person in this who's barely in it and is much better than the leads, and you're like, mate, give these people meteor roles. Yeah. Uh yeah, he's great. He's so good. He exudes sleaze and creepiness, doesn't and, he? Yeah, and he, like As honestly, he does in real life. And also in Scrooged. Scrooged. He's so good. He's the cab driver <laughs> in Scrooge. Anyway, I you know, when he died, I was like, Ugh. it's you know my whole problem with Alien Resurrection where mm -hmm. Michael Wincott and Dan Hedaya died too early. Mm -hmm. I felt a lot like that about David Johansson. Yeah. I but this is why, to go back to the reason I picked this movie and Mick Jagger's performance, mm -hmm. he genuinely feels like he's having a laugh with a movie that he knows is ridiculous. And there is something about him that he just seems to love the chase. He's not really interested in the cause. He just mm. loves having someone to yeah, go up against. Because he it's gets fired in the first scene. Yeah. So you got I'm would, just gonna do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well would you would you like a quote from him that says exactly that? <laughs> go uh, on. From from the LA Times in nineteen ninety one. He says, As I play him, Vesendak enjoys the pursuit and he's good at it. Now when he catches them, of course he empties their brains out of their bodies, but his excuse is that it, these are guys that are already almost dead. Well now that's the big problem, isn't it? Because this film is like it's it's immoral to steal somebody's body, but Emilio Estevez would have died. Yeah. So I'm not so that who it's not, gives it's the not, shit? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Only, and they just took him maybe a fraction of a second too early. So he arrived with his yeah. brain still intact. He wouldn't know any different. Yeah. Also, Anthony Hopkins is like, it will make me immortal. How does it make you immortal? He will die at some point. So that doesn't make any sense. And the most frustrating scene of all, which I fucking hated, at the bit with the consciousness swap at the end, it's like, prove that you're Anthony Hopkins. Oh, I will know this ID number that no one's fucking mentioned at all at any point. We haven't seen you see it. So when he's... Wait, so I thought it was what he had to put in on the keypad moments earlier. But the no. problem is... 
is, then... But look, he just makes it up. Yeah. And then Vasendik goes, you didn't get a single digit right. <laughs> oh, which is a great Stop payoff. looking at me when you do that. I don't like it. So the problem is the climactic scene of this film is Amelia Westerfest shouting, six! Silence. <laughs> no! No, but it's not silence. I agree with that bit. Because Mick Jagger goes, go on then, read the number. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then Amelia Westerfest goes, six. And Mick Jagger looks down yeah. at the pad, looks back and goes, continue. <laughs> and he goes, nine. Mick Jagger looks down, yeah. looks up and goes, the next. What he goes, four. Fuck? And like, like they leave a beat where Mick Jagger goes, one more. <laughs> and another. It's, do you know what it's like? It's like a consonant, yeah, please. It's, 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 a vowel. Yeah, it is like lewd countdown. Um, Emilio Estevez's brain is is uh, fully functioning in this though. When is he's, it? Uh, I don't know if it is. When he's um, like, uh, oh yeah, in the chase sequence, he he goes uh, when Vasendek can't catch him. He has the uh, immortal line: "Vasendek, you couldn't catch the clap if you were a whorehouse." <laughs> I mean, I don't know that. An actual whorehouse can catch the clap. I think it's as in the building. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, go, it's in the walls. Yeah. <laughs> Do what you want with the women. Don't touch the fucking wall. Well, what's that sound inside the walls? The clap's free. <laughs> it's running around. <laughs> I I know what you mean about the film noir thing you were talking about earlier. Mm. When Emilio Estevez is wearing that trench coat as well, they put him in a trench coat at one point, and I used to have a coat like that. And it made me think of my childhood when I used to play fancy dress. Yeah. And I had a coat like that. And I used to be like, well, other kids were like Batman and Spider-Man. I used to pretend to be Lieutenant Columbo. Did you? <laughs> I was Columbo. And only recently I saw a photo of me in that coat. And I was like, oh, oh I, I look cute. like Columbo. Looked like a tiny flasher. <laughs> Is that old material as well? I'm doing one a week to see whether you spot it. <laughs> isn't it funny how we can tell? Yep. Tiny That's flasher. Weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> <A little> winky. <laughs> um, I thought me saying tiny flasher was as weird as that would get. <laughs> <laughs> to go back to the reason I picked it, I think Mick Jagger is a fucking ton of fun in this movie. He's like... Yeah, and by all accounts, he added all the humour to that character as well. It was quite a humorless character when he got hold of it. And it was his idea for him to be taking those little drugs, eating those little bits and pieces. Oh, was it? Do you know? Okay, so that scene really sticks out when his mate Ripper, who has the scar that is never explained, and he makes him take the test. Another, Mm. another. That's a good scene. Another plot point that goes nowhere though. It's like make Mm. someone else new take the test. We never see that. And Ripper is like, "Uh, I can't believe you mistrusted me, boss. Mm. I would never do that. I'll take the test and puts his hand down and it goes cleared. And Mick Jagger walks, it's because he's walking away as he does it. It goes, I wasn't testing you. I was testing the machine. That's really good. Really good moment. (laughs) He says of that stuff, "Um, I wanted him to be an addictive personality. I wanted the character to have an addiction. Most everyone has, but I didn't want him to be addicted to cigarettes or alcohol or drugs. So I had him addicted to eating pan. Indian leaves wrapped around condiments. Pan gives you a little high. Okay. Yeah. Whose idea was that? Mick Jagger. Really? Mm. <laughs> Just talking about what he brought to the role. What he was wrapping he bought, inside a leaf. He bought humour and pan. <laughs> <laughs> I always wondered about this, so I, I ended up looking it up because I remember Emilio Estevez in this. I didn't watch The Mighty Ducks as a kid, so oh, I, I sort of missed so that much. period. And so the next time I saw Emilio Estevez was in Mission Impossible mm. when he's there at the start and he dies and he's uncredited. I was like, but that's Emilio Estevez, the guy from Free Jack. He's like a big deal. Why is he dead at the start and uncredited? And it's because Tom Cruise had a cameo in Young Guns, the Emilio yeah. Estevez film. <laughs> yeah. So he did the Return the Favour. Yeah. Nice. All right then, so... If we've reached the end of our journey through the future of 2009, we've done Free Jack, we've done Labyrinth. Which film is going to be the victor in this week's Clash of the Titles? Remember, the connection is performances by stars of 1985's number one single, Dancing in the Street. So it's David Bowie's performance versus Mick Jagger's performance. What are we going for? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! Chris first. Okay, um, so I just want to briefly talk about the films before I get onto the, the connection. Um... Sorry, have what we have we been time? doing for an hour and a half? Is there st- I, Are you the, not hot? Do you know what? There's a funny bit on last week's. I was just listening back to it. And Chris goes, Chris goes, um, I do have a point to make that I wasn't allowed to make earlier. <laughs> 
I was like, what? <laughs> so tell us what we've not let you say earlier. Um, well, Free Jack, the trouble is it needed the twists and turns of a Total Recall or a Blade Runner or a Minority Report. And it's a film about stealing a life, but it is itself completely lifeless. Whereas Labyrinth is so full of joy and life and fun that I, uh, if we're comparing the films just on their own, it's, it's going to be Labyrinth for me. But in terms of performances, the issue I've got is uh, Mick Jagger being in Free Jack actually takes me out of the movie because I'm always seeing Mick Jagger. Whereas David Bowie, although it's kind of a shock seeing him, he's also this otherworldly person in real life. And I can't imagine anyone else being a Goblin King. We said Freddie Mercury maybe earlier, but even then, David Bowie feels like a Goblin yeah, King. But, I mean, Freddie Mercury already has It's a Kind of Magic, <laughs> which is better than Dance Magic Dance. Hell yes. Sorry, I thought this was my opinion. No? All right, it's Alex's opinion. I've already forgotten a bit that I was going to say now. That's lost to the sands of time. <laughs> David Bowie Labyrinth. <laughs> no, go on. All right, fine. Fucking having a go at me. I've, I've actually got no more. Vicky. So you're going David Bowie Labyrinth. Vicky. Um, the trouble for me with Mick Jagger in Free Jack is that he wasn't Mick Jaggery enough. Like, it, it's him, but... I needed. I know that you, Alex, have said that he's having a good time, but I could have done with even more, like of a knowing wink or something, just something a bit bigger, something that makes me think that's Mick Jagger messing around, rather than that's Mick Jagger um, meeting an unexpected tax bill. <laughs> <laughs> so, and like you say, Chris, David Bowie, because you know it's easy to be like, oh, eighties Bowie is bad Bowie, but there's this, and I know that maybe maybe people weren't as proud of it as they would like to have been after the fact, but you can't help but think of David Bowie when you think of this film and think of it really fondly. And the sexual overtures, they're just the right side of the line, so there's no issue for me there. Um, so it has to be David Bowie in Labyrinth. Well, there you go. We have a winner this week. It is David Bowie's performance in Labyrinth. What would your vote have been, Alex? I'm going to tell you, Chris. I know you are. I'm, 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 sorry, there is a bit that I wanted to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I would have 100% gone Mick Jagger in Free Jack. I think he's fantastic in it. It makes that movie for me. And considering both your arguments at the start of this about this predatory man hunting a 14-year-old girl, <laughs> I'm surprised at you picking Labyrinth. <laughs> I mean, this is the best. This is why we're here. It's better if you can see them dancing, though. It's the dance moves in this video. Have you ever seen the silent video of dancing in the show? Yeah. Fucking great. <laughs> Fucking great. Vicky, have you seen it? No. We're tweeting that out. We're on, tweeting on, out. on YouTube, the silent video of dancing in the street is possibly strangely one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> um, all right, that is it for this week's Clash of the Titles. Our winner is... The World of Labyrinth. So, who's picking next week's movies? I am. Chris. Yes, um, so... So tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, I am giving you 1995's Congo. <laughs> that is Congo. Thank you, what Chris... I while, love it. While Vicky, we're travelling 20 years into the future for 2018's <laughs> Rampage. Great. I'm sending you on a rampage. Brilliant. They're my favourite kind of age. Oh, knowing your feelings for Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I think this is going to be an exciting episode. <laughs> You're a fan, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. If you do want to get in touch with us about whether you think Labyrinth and David Bowie should have beaten Mick Jagger this week or indeed talk about Congo and Rampage ahead of next week's show, the details are what? If you want to email us, it's show at clashpod.com. And if you want to hit us up on Twitter, we are at clashpod. Once again, as always, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back in a week. And please, if you would, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts or Apple or Spotify. You're the best. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production.